Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. Almost 90% of all marine species This is the most visited room in the most visited science museum in the world. The East Wing of the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. It's the Fossil Hall, known more simply as the place with the dinosaurs. Today is just a few days after its 2019 grand reopening. For the past five years, the room was closed to visitors, undergoing a massive renovation. The new gallery is called Deep Time, after the concept of geologic time. Deep Time reflects our current best understanding of life on Earth. The dinosaurs in the hall are presented as part of the larger story of evolution. The gallery is punctured by prominent black pillars, marking extinction events like the end Permian extinction, the end Cretaceous extinction that killed all non-avian dinosaurs, and our devastation of life today. It might not seem like much in geologic time, but this room has been welcoming visitors for over a hundred years. Over those years, the dinosaur bones and other fossils have remained at the center as the museum presentation around them has changed dramatically to keep up with our understanding of the world. You can measure the change by the different names of the hall through time. What is today Deep Time first opened in 1911 with a different name, the Hall of Extinct Monsters. There's this great big open neoclassical space with a skylight three stories up. There was a handful of mounted skeletons of dinosaurs and other animals on pedestals in the middle of the floor, some smaller fossil cases lining the walls. And it was it was very reflective of paleontology and museums at the time in that paleontologists were concerned with taxonomy and with classifying known forms of life. They weren't really concerned about, say, the behavior of those animals or the ecosystems they fit into. From its opening as the Hall of Extinct Monsters in 1911, to renovations in the 1960s and 1980s, to the new Deep Time Gallery today, the Smithsonian's Fossil Hall has answered life's biggest questions. This story is not just a story of life on this planet, but it's also the story of our changing understanding of how we fit into it. Today, we're going back in time through the iterations of the Fossil Hall with exhibitions developer Ben Miller. Hello, my name is Ben Miller, and um, I'm an exhibitions developer at the Field Museum in Chicago. Before that, I worked for the uh, Park Commission in Maryland. I was putting together a site there called Dinosaur Park, and uh, that's largely my career at this point. (laughs) Miller writes a blog about the history and artistry of paleontology exhibits in museums, called, fittingly, extinctmonsters.net. When the Hall of Extinct Monsters opened in 1911, The building that is now the National Museum of Natural History was called the United States National Museum. The hall, with various fossils scattered around the room, generally resembled a classic cabinet of curiosity approach to exhibit design. Certainly museum workers at the time, particularly at the Smithsonian, they were considering exhibitions as showrooms for the collections rather than having any uh, particular public educational function. In other words, there was no overarching story. The exhibit wasn't telling the story of life. It was just saying, here are some cool fossils we found. That's always the first thing that is conceived of when one's putting together an exhibition today is what the story is. And at the time, this was a showroom for the collections. 
there wasn't any kind of narrative that was considered. They were certainly adding new specimens over the course of the first half of the 20th century, including the, the biggest thing in there, the, the Plotticus, the big long-necked dinosaur, went in in the early 30s. But the basic architecture of that space remained pretty much the same. It just got more and more crowded. Diplodocus remains in the hall to this day, forming an impressive set piece in deep time. The Hall of Extinct Monsters persisted largely unchanged until 1962, when it was finally renovated as part of a Smithsonian-wide modernization project. In the 50s and the early 60s, the Smithsonian went through this uh, modernization project. The U.S. National Museum and all the other um, components of the Smithsonian, they were looking at overhauling all these older exhibits and bringing in more uh, visitor-centric focus to those spaces. So in the early 60s, the dinosaur hall and the adjacent halls got uh, renovated. This was a project led primarily by Ann Karras, who was the exhibit designer at the time. Uh, she had a hand at writing, rewriting some of the labels, reorganizing the different uh, fossils that were on display to put them into a story that the general public would be able to follow moving through that space. And they also changed the aesthetics quite a bit, which to me was a bit of a downgrade. They took out rid of uh, all this gorgeous neoclassical design, the big skylight on the ceiling. They boarded up all the windows, sort of dingy brown wall-to-wall carpeting. Yeah, that's what the uh, exhibition looked like. The most polite way to describe the dingy brown carpeting would be earth tone. When doing the renovation, workers realized that the largest mount, Diplodocus, was too difficult to disassemble and move, so the new exhibit was designed around it. Still, the exhibit was evolving. It was partially still based on taxonomy, so there was a room for reptiles, a room for mammals, a room for fishes, but they were bringing in the story of life over time and the evolution of life over time. So which organisms came first, which came later, there was a tone of progress that was more in vogue at that time than you would really see in a modern take on the history of life. The next set of renovations took place in the 1970s and 1980s. Those renovations, known as the history of life, followed the evolutionary progression of fossils, plants, and animals through time. So I think the turning point was in 1974 when they did the Hall of Ice Age Mammals and the Rise of Man. And that exhibit was, rather than being based on taxonomy or the structure of the collections, it was this integrated story that drew on paleontology and anthropology and climatology and geology, bringing in different curators and different experts, as well as uh, exhibit designers, to tell this cohesive, collaborative story about what the Ice Ages were like. And that dovetailed a bit with a reorganization of paleontologists at the museum of the time into what now known as the Department of Paleobiology. So they were more interested in the, the life and evolution of these animals. I think everyone knew at the time that that was going to be the future, that this sort of integrative approach, telling a story about a particular point in time or bringing together a particular narrative was going to be what exhibitions were going to be in the future. And that was sort of what drove the renovations throughout the whole East Wing for the rest of the century. They continued on to the spaces where the dinosaurs were and around them and eventually finished in 1991 with uh, the Ancient Seas Gallery. And it wasn't always easy. There were some points of tension between this old guard of curators and the new professionalism and greater voices of authority in the project that the exhibitions department was having. But ultimately, people were seeing these exhibits as something that existed more for the public rather than being a, uh, a showroom for the collections. It's also the version of the exhibit that Miller remembers visiting as a youngster growing up in the D.C. area. Not sure when I started going, probably around 1990. This was probably the first um, dinosaur exhibit I went to, so it was just the place to see dinosaurs. I didn't really have a, 
a point of comparison and got to know all of those specimens very well, going to see them year after year after year. What I think was always very clear is that space was at the mercy of its history and that this had been a series of partial renovations over the course of decades and decades. It was very difficult to navigate. There were some tight corridors. There were um, a lot of false walls boxing people in, leading to dead ends and cul-de-sacs. And that was just the result of continuing to add new things and uh, new partial renovations to a space that wasn't really built for that. The gallery was restricted in part by the story it was telling, guiding visitors through time in a maze-like fashion, making it difficult from a visitor flow perspective to go backwards. This was also the version of the gallery that Miller studied when, later, he worked as an intern at the Smithsonian. Right. I was um, I was working with the paleobiology department and then later with uh, the education department. And one of the things I was doing was visitor research interviews with uh, visitors there about how they understood the history of life on Earth, how they conceived of the great expanses of time, what they thought about the presentation of evolution in the gallery and that sort of thing. I hope that that little contribution I made was was helpful in uh, eventually conceiving the hall. This series of renovations from the 1970s and 1980s lasted all the way to 2014, when the hall was closed for the renovations that ultimately became Deep Time. What makes Deep Time so exciting was that it was by far the most complete renovation since the hall opened in 1911. And that meant the possibility to completely rethink fundamental assumptions about the way the story of life on Earth was presented. That meant stripping the entire gallery of the earth-toned carpet and clearing away the false walls and cul-de-sacs that had made the renovations in the 1980s so claustrophobic. So they've had this opportunity to take everything out and start over from the beginning, which is, I'm very jealous of as a museum professional. Uh, usually you're just building on you know decades and decades of what already exists and sort of trying to fit your new story in. Um, but they were able to really start from from square one, what do we want people to think about when they think about the history of life on Earth? And what they landed on was they really wanted to bring the human story into that to show that we as people today were part of the evolution of life, we're not separate from it. Um, and everything we see in the world today is something that has a story and has roots in the uh, in the long history and deep time, as the exhibit is called. The gallery does a good job of presenting anthropogenic climate change against the backdrop of previous, much slower changes. The people who made the exhibit have made it hard to visit the museum without contemplating the climate crisis and our role in creating it. Project manager for Deep Time, Siobhan Stars, says that while people come for the dinosaurs, they're going to get a lot more than dinosaurs. One of the exhibits that helps visitors think on a deep time scale is an animated interactive media piece called Your Body Through Time. The piece illustrates early instances of characteristics found in our bodies, like bilateral symmetry and lungs, and how they evolved in our ancestors. And the presentation of the fossils themselves is dynamic, very much a departure from the taxonomical presentation when the room was simply the Hall of Extinct Monsters. And I know something that was important to the curators was to show the skeletons as animals. Uh, so they went through the process of disarticulating all of their mounted skeletons, conserving them, and putting them back together in poses that showed different kinds of behavior, not just eating and killing each other, as you see in a lot of uh, newer exhibits, uh, but they're doing things like sleeping and guarding eggs, and there's even a 
mammoth in there that's uh, using its tusks to clear snow off the grass. So all sorts of really interesting behaviors that bring new life to these creatures and really show them as you know, living, thinking beings that once existed. The reimagined exhibit is also arranged in reverse chronological order. Visitors start among the mammoths and ground sloths of more recent history and move backwards in time through increasingly alien versions of North America until ultimately encountering the earliest life. This reorientation also means visitors enter the gallery in the middle of a human-caused mass extinction event already in progress. I think it's a, it's a very novel approach to start in the present day and move back. I think most exhibitions, they've started with the origins of life and moved forward. And it'll be really interesting to see uh, how folks react to going back in time. It's only from an aesthetic perspective. I think it's very clever because you can put your big, impressive ground slots and mastodons up the front and really show people something really cool. Whereas if you start with the origins of life, you're starting in a room full of you know, really old stromatolites and rocks and, you know, hell scenes of what the Earth looked like then, and you're kind of hiding what the big show is, which is going to be your uh, skeletons of dinosaurs and so forth. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how people respond to that. You can read Ben Miller's excellent paleontology exhibit design blog at extinctmonsters.net. His latest post is an in-depth review of Deep Time, which I highly recommend reading before you visit the gallery. Deep Time is now open to the public. And if history is any guide, it will be for a while. Still, don't hesitate to visit as soon as you can. I played a very small role in the evolution of the Fossil Hall. I was a member of the interactive media team, prototyping exhibit interactivity and building and coordinating some of the software you'll see at deep time. In the latest episode of Club Archipelago, I take you back in time to my first visit to the museum in 2009, how I started working on the new gallery in 2014, and what it was like to be in the empty room while it was being renovated. Join Club Archipelago to get access to this episode and all Club Archipelago bonus episodes. Join today at patreon.com slash museumarchipelago, and you'll also get access to logo stickers and pins mailed straight to your door. This has been Museum Archipelago. You'll find a full transcript of this episode, along with show notes, at museumarchipelago.com. If this is your first show, don't forget to subscribe for free in your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. And next time, bring a friend.